Chapter 11, What Every Teenage Boy Needs Whatever course you decide upon, there is always someone to tell you that you are wrong. There are always difficulties arising which tempt you to believe that your critics are right. To map out a course of action and to follow it to an end requires courage. Ralph Waldo Emerson When I think of what a teenage boy needs, I reflect on an incident I first described in my book, Parenting Today's Adolescent. The scene still causes a chill to trickle down my back. On an outdoor stage at Mile High Stadium in Denver, Colorado, with 50,000 men watching, a 15-year-old boy, blindfolded and barefoot, began stepping cautiously toward a dangerous obstacle course filled with a dozen steel animal and varmint traps. All were set and ready to go off at the slightest touch. The bear trap is right here in case you can't see it. They are about to set up some additional traps between where Jonathan is going to stand and where David, his dad, and I are going to stand at the other end of the stage. And so, Jonathan, in a moment, I'm going to turn and address you as a young man. And your dad and I, as the older generation, are going to turn to you, and we're going to beckon you to come to maturity. We're going to call you to come to adulthood. We're going to call you as a young man to come to being a real man, to manhood, all right? And when we, when we do that, what I want you to do is I want you to come, okay? Now, to illustrate what's taking place in our culture with the youth of today, guys, I felt like it would be appropriate to blindfold Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan can't see. Jonathan, you stand right there. Your dad and I are going to go over here. There's traps all over the stage up here, guys, that you can't see, representing peer pressure, drugs, alcohol, pornography, pride, sexual immorality. About five steps in front of Jonathan is the bear trap. Guys, that's real and it's loaded. Jonathan, as a young man, you're vulnerable at this age. And you know, the blindfold is a picture of adolescence, but it doesn't quite capture how vulnerable you really are. So Jonathan, I want you to take your shoes off. Okay, Jonathan, on the count of three, I want you to come to your dad and me on this side of the stage representing maturity, adulthood, and manhood. One, two, three. Jonathan, stop. This is your dad. He waited as his father circled the trap field and stepped in between him and the bear trap. The young man eagerly placed his hands on his father's shoulders. Slowly, taking small and deliberate steps, David maneuvered through the traps with Jonathan nearly glued to his dad's shoulders. David stayed as far from the traps as possible so that Jonathan would not bump one with his bare toes. Applause and cheering started at one end of the stadium and swelled to a thunderous standing ovation, rolling like a tidal wave across that stadium. Men, that's what God has called us to as fathers, to guide our children through adolescence the most dangerous period 
of our children's lives. Here's what I see happening today. We're providing our teenage boys with many of the skills they need to succeed at work, but we fail to prepare them to be men of their word, faithful men at home. They have the tools to find just about anything online, but they don't have the gear to know how to resolve a conflict with a friend or a family member. We teach them how to drive a car, but not how to steer clear of alcohol and drugs. They know all the nuances of how to throw a curve or a slider and how to hit a baseball, but they are clueless about how to remain sexually pure. We guide them in how to get into college and make right choices in their careers, but not in how to withstand peer pressure. Teenage young men must be trained for battle. Think of it this way. When a boy turns 13, you have about five years to purposefully train him for manhood. He needs to know who God is and how to relate to his creator. He needs to know what a real man is and what a real man does. He needs to know how to make wise choices and how to deal with his failures. If we fail in this responsibility, we send our sons into battle destined to become casualties to the traps of adolescence and ill-equipped to be men who step up. In an earlier chapter, I quoted from 1 Corinthians 13.11. It reads, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Adolescent young men need to be trained to step away from childish things and learn how to step up and speak like a man, think like a man, and reason like a man. Here are six non-negotiables for training teenage young men. Number one, they need help assassinating selfishness and pride. From the time a boy is born, he is full of himself. As a toddler, he needs no training to become a tyrant. He does that naturally. And if allowed, he will morph from an incorrigible and bullheaded boy into a self-absorbed teen and ultimately a selfish adult. Pride is enemy number one of true manhood. When a man suffers from arrogance, he isn't teachable. He can't admit fault. He refuses correction and won't be responsible. With himself as the center of the universe, all others must make their orbits around him and his needs. Ultimately, he rebuffs Almighty God and says, You do your thing, and I'll do mine. I am my own God. A man who is full of himself will never be the man God created him to be. It is only as a man understands who God is and how he relates to God as a man that he can begin the process of becoming a real man. When a young man does understand his relationship with God, it affects all of his relationships. It makes him a giver rather than a taker. He puts the needs of others ahead of his own. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And he understands that a portion of his mission on earth is to help others know God personally, just as he does. As a dad, you need to avoid feeding his primal selfishness. 
Instead, charge him with the care and protection of his mother, his siblings, and others. Put limits on the amount of time he spends on the Internet, texting or playing video games. Instead, put him to work, hard work. Our sons work 10 to 15 hours a week when they turn 14. Work is a powerful tool in overcoming selfishness. Sweat and calluses are a good thing for a young man. Ultimately, you are training your son to assume responsibility and fulfill another non-negotiable, what Christ called the Great Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39. Number two, they need to learn and apply fundamental convictions and character qualities to real-life issues. What are the fundamental values and truths of your life, the lessons you want to pass on? I developed a list of more than 50 items. Here's a few. To know how to love, forgive, and ask for forgiveness. Too many men know how to make a living but don't know how to resolve conflict. To demonstrate common courtesies and communicate honor and respect to others, especially women. To know how to turn away from temptations that men face, such as lust, greed, idolatry, stealing, cheating, and lying. To know how to handle success and failure. Some of the best lessons I taught my sons were from my failures as a father and as a man. To know how to lead others in the valley when facing tragedy and suffering. I wanted my sons to know that courage is ultimately built on convictions. And convictions are developed as they learn the truth about God and life and about who they are as men. Convictions and courageous actions occur when life and truth collide. I'll never forget celebrating a courageous choice to withstand peer pressure that our son Samuel made in college. We cheered him on. Number three, they need a relationship with their dad. A dad's relationship with his son is a bridge over which truckloads of truth, wisdom, training, and character lessons are driven. If that bridge doesn't exist or if it washes out, a boy is dangerously isolated. Dads must keep that bridge in place so that the supply lines can flow during the battle. The natural tendency of teenage boys is to push their parents out while inviting peers in. To counter this, Dads can map out what their sons like to do and develop common interests so that they can enjoy one another and experience life together. Relationships are built as we are transparent and authentic with our sons. Share your failures and struggles, as well as your successes, with your son. Number four, the best time to begin preparing a boy for adolescence is before it begins. In football, as well as in life, it's better to be on the offense rather than constantly playing defense and having a goal line stand. One of the best things I did was to go on the offensive and organize weekend getaways with my sons as they approached the teenage years.
From this experience, I developed a package of resources called Passport to Purity to help an adult father, grandfather, or uncle discuss the transformational changes that kids will experience in their teenage years. Every young man needs to know in advance about the manhood awakening that is so powerful it can overwhelm him. Ideally, between the ages of 11 and 13, or no later than 14, a boy needs to hear an older man talk about puberty, attraction to the opposite sex, how sex works in marriage, erections, masturbation, wet dreams, lust, and pornography. Number five, young men need to be with men. Young men need to talk about manly things with older men. They need to rub shoulders with men who are modeling what it means to be a man. And they need to experience ceremonies and celebrations around what it means to be a young man. A few years ago, I helped my friend Robert Lewis, founder of Men's Fraternity, with a DVD series called Raising a Modern Day Night. This series is designed for fathers and sons to complete in a weekend or in six weekly sessions and contain a number of unforgettable ceremonies that commemorate a boy's passage to the next step of manhood. If you're a father and you find yourself resonating with the issues Dennis has just identified, you may want to examine Family Life's Passport to Purity or Robert Lewis's Raising a Modern Day Night. Visit FamilyLife.com to discover more. Number six, teenage boys can't be allowed to linger in adolescence. Like a young eaglet that gets pushed out of the nest at the appropriate time, a young man must learn to fly on his own. If the nest is too cushy, if all of his creature comforts are there for his enjoyment, then he may set up his high-definition TV and perch for a while. With both of my sons, I remember a conversation that occurred sometime around their 19th birthdays. Dad, I just don't get as much money from you and Mom at college as my friends do. I can't make it on what you give me. To which I smiled and responded, Son, I understand. You're becoming a man. A man with adult tastes and expectations. Your mom and I love you, but you need to know we are not committed to helping you satisfy these desires. If you want to eat out, buy things, and go places, you're going to have to earn money. <laughs> I am concerned about a migration of immature eaglets back to the home nest. Some are delaying the manly duties not only of assuming responsibility for rent, food, and monthly bills, but also of stepping up to find a wife and begin a family. Ask any single woman in her 20s and 30s, and she'll tell you that there's an endangered species of real men who want to assume the responsibilities of a man. As Pastor Mark Driscoll observed, we live in a culture of hookup, shack up, break up. Men are marrying later and staying married shorter than ever. The average dude is not a dude, but just a boy who can shave.
It's easy to become discouraged when you feel as though you're teaching the same lessons over and over to teenage boys and you think they'll never grow up. And then God surprises you. Benjamin and Samuel both attended the same university and their time overlapped a couple of years. I remember speaking with a female friend of theirs who said, Oh, did you hear what happened at Cruz meeting the other night? First of all, Benjamin stood up and shared how he was going to take a year off from school and volunteer to go to Estonia and be a missionary to reach college students. After he finished, he sat down, and the next person to share was his brother Samuel. He told everyone what a phenomenal brother he had, how much he loved him, how much he admired him, what a mentor he had been to him, what an example he had been of following Jesus Christ, and how much that meant to him as a freshman at the university. And then Samuel put his arms around his brother and just hugged him. It was one of those moments parents dream about. These were the same boys who argued and fought each other so often that we wondered if they would ever become friends. I wanted to hear this story one more time. I think God occasionally has compassion on parents and gives us just a glimpse of the men our sons are becoming. I tell this story to give you hope and to encourage you to keep on being faithful to bring up your sons in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. At some point, you will see the fruits of your efforts as these young men truly begin to step up.